Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl, and me, Roger Bell West. And we will be talking about uh, the limits of improvisation and how far you can take being prepared but not prepared. And role-playing conventions, Dragon Meat is coming, why should you go? You should, you really should. And finally, we'll be working on the railroad, or the live long day. first bit is going to be partly a review, partly um, thinking about what we could do with the idea of the thing we're going to review, and um, partly just our general usual rambling. I'm reviewing here two, re well one very recent and one recentish publication which share an idea and which have um, possibly um, expanded our idea of how campaigns can be constructed. And those are the Armitage Files uh, for Trail of Cthulhu by Robin D. Laws and the Dracula Dossier by his cohort Ken Height uh, for Knight's Black Agents. NBA, NBA, NBA. We just look confused. They'll look confused if I just say NBA. <laughs> now, the idea behind these is that you are creating what is called, by Robin at least, an improvised campaign. Now all campaigns to a certain degree, and we're going to be talking about railroading later on, are improvised, but um, this is much more deeply so than normal. The idea is that you give your players a handout or series of handouts which I, are... I believe this was inspired by Robin's observation that the things the players really value in traditional Call of Cthulhu is the handout. Well, Yes, he's not wrong. Something you can put your hands on, something you can get a feel for, especially if somebody's gone to some trouble to make it look good. Here, have this. This is a printout of the... There'll be rustling in the background. This is a printout of the first um, <laughs> handout for uh, the Armitage files. You can see it has large amounts of blood on it. Yeah, let, let's assume it's blood. I, I believe I, that would be comforting. That would be very comforting. The idea is in the Armitage files that uh, Professor Armitage of um, Miskatonic University, uh, head of an organisation which fights things that man was not meant to know, suddenly starts receiving what appear to be messages from himself in the future, hands it to his associates, and asks them to investigate. Now, one important thing to note here, right from the start, is that the document itself calls itself an unreliable narrator. It draws attention to the fact that whatever's going on, and wherever it really came from, the person writing it is not terribly stable. Um, yeah, I think that, that, that is a hint subtly given. Yeah. And says, you, must, you cannot even, even trust me. So the players have to look at it, and follow up the clues and names and indications that are in it. And Robin provides a backup dossier which shows the possible meanings of the various clues and threads, as well as providing a number of what is really going on, spines, um, as he calls them, 
which could be expanded. Now, each organisation, each individual, is given a description and you see what they what they appear to be to the outside world and you have a number of different explanations you as the gm do yep. this person could be um what they appear to be presumably potentially there are multiple threads leading to them as well yeah okay sorry yeah there well there are links between um this organization links to that person but again it's improvised and you have a number of options and you can you make them real and this is the important point about the improvised campaign, the, the handout-based here, go and investigate this campaign, um, that there are that each one has a number of possible explanations. He could be just what they appear to be, a normal stalwart person. Um, they could be an innocent, um, unacquainted with what's going on, or maybe unacquainted yet, because this is a time travel story mm -hmm. in the Armitage Files, or they could be a minion of the, the mythos and working hard to overthrow reality. And this is a lovely idea. One of the things that is said is what they go for, what they choose to investigate, is the thing you can make important. Which is a thing that's fairly standard for campaigns anyway, but this, this brings that to the foreground. Yeah, well, it means... It means there should be no predetermined red herrings. There mm. should be no predetermined dead ends. If they've yeah, got I mean, a, if they've got an enthusiasm for a particular idea, you play with it. You might play with it to frustrate them, but you don't say no. That will never go anywhere. No, don't bother with that. Which also means that the bits of the campaign that get developed rather than neglected mm. are the ones that the players find of interest and appeal to them. Yeah. But now. The Dracula dossier is even more insanely de uh, dense and detailed. Now, Roger has <laughs> a limit of how much uh, information he thinks can be dumped upon. Uh, all at once. All That's at once. The well, I mean, here, here we've got this. Uh, this. This is document one from the Armitage files with three three pages of writing and an illustration. Hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, as a thing for the players to pour over for half a session, that yeah. could work. Uh, it would not. It would be too much for me to say. Here is what you need to read before you even start playing. Well, that is one of the difficulties with uh, the Dracula dossier. The Dracula dossier proper starts with the players already involved with knowing the fact that there are vampires in the world, and somebody somewhere having. Um, notice their interest and enthusiasm, dumps on them what appears to be a first draft of uh, Bram Stoker's novel Dracula. A novel now conveniently in the public domain. Yeah. Um, what he, what, as a sidebar, what uh, Ken Hyde appears to have done is combine the text of the British edition and the Icelandic edition, which are quite different, <laughs> and, and mudge them all together into one big text and then annotated them with th from three generations of um, MI, MI6 analysts. <laughs> One from the 1940s when it, uh, uh, let, let's, 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 let's drop a big spoiler here. At the end of the novel, Aruga, Dracula Aruga. did not really finally die. <laughs> You've all suspected this. Hammer has told you it for many on gear. 
and in the 1940s um, uh, finding somebody, even somebody inhuman and incredibly dangerous to overthrow the fascist-leaning uh, regime in Romania was seemed like a good idea at the time. And apparently in the 1970s as well, there were leaks in MI6 towards the Securitate. And, and you know you know who would be really useful to resolve this one for us? <laughs> and in the current century... A, a true Romanian patriot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in the current current century, well, who hates Muslims more than, more than Vlad Tepes Dracula? If that's really who it is behind the fangs. So... The, Three generations have have annotated it, and this gets dumped on the, the players by someone. Now that's a hell of a, a requirement to go through. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's not a short book, yeah, even well, by it, modern standards. It's, it's longer with all the Icelandic stuff stuffed <laughs> into it. Uh, but again, there's uh, and there's an even longer um, GM's uh, director's handbook. Um, which lists all the organisations, all the all the people. It lists them with multiple possible names, multiple possible descriptions, as well as are they are they innocents, are they members of the of EDEM, which is the uh, British intelligence organisation that um, deals with vampires, perhaps not altogether wisely. Or are is, they... is there a way to deal wisely with vampires other than ultraviolet lights and stake shooting crossbows? Um, I think I think I think the audience. If we ask the audience, they will say no. <laughs> but all oh, the temptations, mind control, immortality, power, and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, hubris. Uh, thy name is Eden. Uh, so there are the NPCs and the organisations are either tangled up are either innocents or tangled up with Eden or actual minions of Dracula's vast conspiracy. There are also several possible explanations of the big thing that Dracula is really up to. Because, mm. you know, just ruling half of Europe and all of its security services isn't enough for a monster like Dracula. He has to have a big final plot that the players can um, hopefully frustrate. And and two or three different speculations about how you do finally kill a master master vampire, mm-hmm. and all of this is tumbled in, and they're publishing handouts upon handouts. Um, there's a thing called the um, uh, Harker Papers, is it? Is it? Or no, no, the Hopkins Papers, which is which is a set of documents which they're pre- uh, they're going to bring out. They've already brought out the PDF. They're going to bring out. Physical copies, uh, mm. gently um, stressed and uh, and made to look look more real. Of oh, yeah, uh, coded telegrams from the from the nineteen nineteen forties, Victorian le- letters on appropriate le- letterheads, and uh, and period maps of the Borgo Pass. <laughs> now all this, I have just insanely started running, as I said last time, NBA for um, my place. All this, I'm about to launch into. And it's pretty clear that we have here what we, who are qualified in literary criticism, would describe as a really nifty idea. And I'm wondering, first of all, what the limits are on it. And second of all, where else we could apply something like this? Is there, um, is there a limit to 
how far you can go with creating a document-driven, a, a clue-driven improvised campaign. There's got to be an alternate term for this, but I'm not, but I'm drawing on what it might be. For the individual GM, as opposed to somebody writing publication, yeah. you've got an awful lot of prep work compared with the standard campaign. I mean, I, I over-prepare for campaigns already. I've got to say, I'm a, I, writing 100,000 words for a campaign is a lot. It's true. But from the point of view of uh, a GM using a campaign like this, it's actually surprisingly light. Mm -hmm. All you have to do, as my father, the father of the school teacher used to say, is be one step ahead of them. Mm. You need to, uh, you need to, he, he meant you need to have uh, planned the, the next one or two lessons ahead. And uh, the GMs uh, can apply the same skill. This is where they are now. And depending on how that turns out, I can decide um, where they're likely to go, go next and prepare for that. So it's, yeah, but for, for the average person who isn't Ken Height and, uh, and doesn't have a, a deadline and a massively successful Kickstarter to, to write to, it is a massive undertaking. I, would, I, th I think I would, I would want to try to hope to get more than one use out of it. It is still... Either for commercial publication or just by running it with different groups. Oh, with the... It's a, it's, it should be different every single time. Robin says as much in the notes to the Armitage file. You can't... The truth behind it can be different every time. Mm. And the, the route that the players take is almost bound to be different every time. Yeah. Um... I don't know if I'm ever, excuse me, I have only so many years of life left, and I can see the, uh, the, the Dracula dossier taking the best part of a year with, with a weekly group to, to work your way through. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting by, uh, by throwing bits of the Zelazny Quartet at them as well. Mm. Um, there's a, there is a very neat way I think I can see to tie the Zelazny Quartet and Dracula dossier together. I found, I found, however, talking of limits, I found that there were things I wanted to exclude. I am not totally open to every possibility that the great matrix of Ken's in, in imagination leads leads to, or Ken and Gareth by the hand round, I should say. It is. Um, there's one whole, whole subplot, an explanation of how vampires work. I they they're enthusing about. And it's embedded to a degree in uh, in the in the dossier, and I'm going to have to work hard to keep out. It that does, does occur to me that if if you're doing a thing like this where you have, it, maybe it's not sold as something tangible, but in in, this, in essence you have prepared handouts. They they are the key to it. You can't then alter them very easily. I mean, some some of them are just dropping hints at things, and that's fine. The hints don't pan out. But if you wanted to exclude something completely or change a name or whatever, you can't really do that. Yeah, names are a bit of a bugger. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last time. But one of the problems is that, is that the uh, the manuscript that you're given uses the names from the book. Now, I'll put it this way. It describes a distinguished professor from a Dutch university, um, a respectable pair of solicitors, well... One of them, at least, is respectable. <laughs> and um, a, a noted physician, an alienist, and um, a member of the British nobility. 
there is no way you can publish uh, a, a book using the real names of those people. And one of the things I, I suspect I'm going to have to do is uh, create um, create a list of alternate names, the real names of which these were the aliases or work names, mm-hmm. and that's going to be um, uh, a bit of a bit of a bugger. I can see a way to um, I can see a way to to maintain them and call Van Helsing Van Helsing, but it gets even deeper into the weirdness very very early. And uh, yeah, that's going to be an even more complicated thing. Now, but presumably, with, yeah. with Dracula dossier, you're, you're dumping this everything on the players at once. Whereas with Armitage files, I get the impression you, you've got this series of documents which you yeah. release one at and a time. Sh- a, a schedule, a paste schedule, because you you want the the sense of doom of of everything every everything uh, mythos related accelerating in the background and things crumbling around the edges. You want that that sense of 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 time pressure built yeah, up. But and what that means is that you, if there is something you don't want people to find out about until later on, um, you can simply leave it out of the earlier documents. Whereas yeah. with Dracula dossier, you, you you've got the whole thing. Yeah, you're you you've got the, the the supplementary papers. You can you can drop in as seems as seems appropriate, as seems. Likely to uh, to confirm um, the way the campaign is going. Hmm. Uh, it can suggest that you drop them in as rewards for people spending um, investigative skill points. And oh, look be- behind the mirror there is this old map. I wonder what it signifies. <laughs> and and go from there. I came across in uh, on RPG Net a posting by somebody who's equally enthusiastic for the Dracula dossier, but feels the need to decide in advance what is everything, virtually, that he's going to allow. And I, I, I took it as a, a warning to myself not to, to do that. Yeah, I certainly have tendencies in that direction. Yeah, well, the thing is, you... And I, I, I like to know what's yeah. going on, because then I can filter it through the player's perceptions. Yeah, the the thing is, I I, I, uh, I, I want to... You are sort of required in NBA to make a clear decision about what vampires are and where they come from, because it affects the, the, whole, the whole theme. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is one big decision that I, I am making. Everything else, I think... I have ideas about who in the original party of of adventurers, the eighteen ninety four bunch, who was part of Edom and set up Dracula coming to um, to, to Britain, mm-hmm. and who wasn't. I don't. I don't want uh, my players turn off your ears. I don't want the Dracula dossier to be entirely um, unreliable. I want it to be. An actual report of what people actually saw and said at the time, or at least thought they saw, or at least thought thought they saw. But people, while people may not have said all that they know in the records, I want what they wrote down mm-hmm. to be their actual reactions and not edited. Um, yeah, the, the the novel that was published was take this bit out, take that bit out. Yeah, but. Um, 
and and players can make and should make this deductions about what was taken out and the meaning of that. But more than that, I don't, I don't want to make it totally dishonest. With the Armitage Files, insanity is is one of the major themes of the thing, mm-hmm. and even your own mind may not be reliable. Even so, there's a degree to which you don't want uh, don't want it to be totally deceiving. There ought to be some sort of firm ground, even if, even if it's just quicksand. That's a mixed metaphor if you ever did one, Michael. Hmm. So, yeah, I, what what do the players do if they if they decide well we just can't trust this stuff at all? Yeah, then they might as well ignore it, and, that, and that's no fun for anyone. <laughs> well, quite. Do you think there's other um, apart from the mystery horror thing? Are there other ways where you could use something like this? Well, mis- mystery and investigation is clearly yeah um, something it's well suited to. I've I've run um, science fiction investigative games. That's hard. Um, and the the obvious approach would be something like something approximating either a website or a series of connected websites. Mm. But then you uh, have players library who, data. Yeah. Well, yeah, library data and people's pri- people's private theorizings and mm. whatever else. Yeah, one of the hard things is coming up with that sort of stuff in a hurry. Um, the, the, this campaign system, by definition, can't be come up with in a hurry. You you need to have it pretty much laid out before you start, I think. You need to write more than you're ever going to use. And the the two, the two documents here provide a lot more than you're ever, ever going to be able to use. Hmm. Um... And some stuff I'm, uh, I am saying, no, that's out, that's out, that's out. But I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm trying not to say too much of that. One of the things, um, that I, one of the things I always say is that you game to find out what the game is about. You play to find out what the game is about and the, the players will teach you what the game is about. They will ask questions that you never thought of, mm. and the questions you never thought needed an answer, and that's the sort of thing that you you need to be able to turn on a dime, improvise about, and stick something in, or make something up that's going to confirm and answer the questions that you never thought, or and the author never thought were go, was going to go into it. Yeah, the thing I very much like about this approach is that it's a framework that is designed to adapt to the players. Hmm. Uh, it's much bigger than your standard um, adventure of the same playing length because yeah. of all the stuff that won't get used. But that means that every time the yeah, it, it's going to maintain player involvement. Every time the players say, "Let's follow clue A rather than clue B or C," they're saying, "This is the thing we're interested in." Yeah. Um. It's interesting to compare this to the what's called the sandbox campaign, where you have a world or a bit of it created in great detail, mm. and the uh, and the and the pl- players are told here go on, go and explore this. This is sort of an outgrowth and sort of a a counter argument to the to the sandbox. Things aren't fixed. Well, they, they always will have been fixed when mm. when, it, when the truth turns out and is discovered, you hope. But you're not st- fixing it at the start. Now, all even a, the, an ordinary sandbox, something like Han, for example, 
even though it's got details of how big a, a fee is in in the valley over the over the hill and how many knights there are in that castle over there, um, even that has to be improvised around in order to make things work. But mm, I'm, I'm not sure I would call that a sandbox campaign. Really, it, it's a campaign setting. Yeah. But without anything approximating a suggested plot, I don't think it is a campaign. It's a place where you can put campaigns. People do say, um, people do allege that they do. They run sam- sandbox ca- campaigns. They they put the world in detail in front of the players and throw a few things that are currently happening at them and see where they go. I'm not sure that's the, true. I, I've never been, the, the, been the, that the, plotless. The, the overall system of what the GM provides and what the players decided to do, mm. I would call a campaign, because that is, here is this thing we're going to deal with, we go and deal with it, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I think if you've just got a setting without a, without a plot attached to it, it's not a campaign yet. It's a place that a campaign can happen. Mm. And the, the same would apply to transhuman space. Yeah. Um, which is a lovely setting, but there is, is essentially no standard this is where the campaign starts point true there are even there are very few adventures too and i i am unconvinced by any any campaign arcs that i've seen proposed for it i've i've played in a couple they work hmm. um maybe it's just my lack of enthusiasm it must be said i can see transhuman space having um having a, a an improvised campaign built into it where you there's plenty of secrets Yep, there, there would have to be a, a lot of source material, as with any of these, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of different styles, but yeah. Yeah. I will report, as it goes on, if, I mean, my players may may decide that they don't like this at an early stage, in which case I'm going to have to uh, curse my involvement in the Kickstarter and go off and do something else. Run it with some different players. I only have two groups of regular players, and, mm-hmm. uh, well, we will see. But reports shall, uh, shall be. Uh, we uh, this has been an unsolicited commercial uh, for the products of Kenneth Height and Robin D Laws and the Gumshoe System, and uh, I will report later on what I find. Role-playing conventions. We've been to quite a few of them over the years. Many, many, many times. What is the point and what's good about them? Um, particularly since this will come out pretty much the week before Dragon Meat, if I've remembered my calendar correctly. You should go to Dragon Meat. Why should you go to Dragon Meat? Well, you could meet Roger and he could give you stuff, for one thing. Well, yeah, or run a game for you. Uh, he runs a game and then, then distributes stuff. He is a man in black. You heard it here first. But so what you actually said to me, Roger, was what is the point of Dragon Meat now that there is UK Games Expo? That's what you said. I was trying to be polite about it. All right, all right, all right. Let's be. No, all right. Well, well, I've never been to UK Games Expo. Explain to me what the UK Games Expo is and why it's so wonderful. Um, from from the point of view of the the trader, yeah, it's vastly bigger. 
Uh, it runs over a, a nominal three days now. Yeah. It was two. It's basically residential because it's in in the um, it's now at the NEC in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, so very few people actually live within useful distance of the NEC. Yeah. Unless unless they're in Birmingham, basically. Uh, so most people stay on site. Uh, and that is that immediately gives it a different flavour. Um, yeah. a, a one day show like Dragon Meat, people turn up for usually a few hours. The, the fairly dedicated will stay there all day, like us. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of people will just drop in, look around, go through the trade hall, maybe. Yeah. Go home again. Whereas most people who are at Games Expo, you know, there are day visitors, but it's mostly people who are in for the whole whole thing. Do you actually get less games played at Games Expo? Yes and no. Um, in previous years, I've generally been doing board game demos as yeah. a man in black. Um, so yes, I play lots and lots and lots of games. But I haven't, haven't done that much role-playing. Uh, this, this coming year, I, I'm planning to do more yeah. role-playing. Um, they, they have various tiers of rewards um, based on how many games you run. If, if you basically do nothing other than run games, you get your hotel room and everything else paid for. Oh, wow. Um, but the, you don't actually have time to appreciate any of the things that you're getting paid for because you're running games all the time. <laughs> I, I do know people who've done this. But, you know, I, I've enjoyed running one-shot scenarios at conventions for, for quite a few years. Yeah. Uh, it, it's why I got into being a man in black in the first place. I think the trick is that people are just thinking in a longer term at Expo. So... Whereas at Dragon Meet, they may start thinking, well, this has been two hours. I know it's a four-hour session, but... Yeah. That's not everybody, but it, it's, it's a thing I've seen at Dragon Meet I haven't seen at Expo, because people at Expo are thinking, hey, I've got three more days of this. I don't need to well, rush well, through. Well, they, uh, yeah, the feeling at Dra Dragon Meet... Dragon Meet is a one-day um, one meeting. It's inspired by an in-memory of and in the line of the one-day meetings in um, Games Day, which um, Games Workshop used to run mm -hmm. back in the 1980s, back when we were all much younger than we are now. Games Days and Dragon Meets, I seem to remember at one point. Yeah, and there were and they were one-day meetings in big halls where exhibitors came along and, so, and sold you stuff and there was a bring and buy and you could uh, and and you could get a, get a few games in. In those days, the exhibitors turning up was a big thing. It's still a mm -hmm. biggish thing, because um, you you couldn't. There wasn't uh, a game shop um, in every in every city, that, let alone every town, and there wasn't um, the internet, and there weren't the other means of getting hold of things. But. I still go to uh, Dragon Meat for the uh, for the great piles of stuff that are, are stacked up and the odd things that I'm going to find because they brought everything uh, that they could manage to get into the van. Yeah, I think the sh the shopping for me at Dragon Meat, uh, the occasional this is newly released here thing. Yeah, that that's shifting to Expo now for most companies, but there's still mm. some. Um, the thing that I wasn't sure about and the PDF sample or whatever wasn't wasn't sufficient for it let me make a decision so if I can actually flip through it for a couple of minutes. Yeah. That that still applies. Yeah, I and, and dice, of course. And dice. Roger, you have enough dice. You have There's no such thing enough as enough dice. dice. Swimming in the bloody things. <laughs> That's a thought. <laughs>
Oh, Roger, you and Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, but, uh, yeah, the thing is that uh, that uh, Dragon Meat is too short to get one, more than one good game in, even if you're going to commit to sit down. I do yeah, get they, they, they do, run it, they do run it into the evening now, but in terms of the role-playing um, sessions, there are basically two organised slots. The one that starts at about 10.30 and the one that starts at about three-ish, I think. Something I can't remember. And you better be damn, uh, there damn early if you want to get a, get a slot in one of the 10.30 ones. Yeah, that that is interesting in itself. Um, they Last year they tried pre-booking and people hated it, largely because it didn't work very well. Yeah. Um, this year they've gone back to sign up on the day, but they have published in advance what the games are, so you can at least decide what you want to sign up for. Or hope that you will get into the front of the queue in time. I live outside London, and it's always a bit of an issue getting there for the, for the time the doors open. I have done it in the past once or twice. Yeah, I, I'm going to be there stupidly early because I've got to set up or yeah. help, help set up our stand in the board games room before I run the game at ten thirty. I, on the other hand, like to have slept beforehand. Yeah, sleep would be good. The the thing is, yeah, British uh, games conventions. It should be noted, and British gamers generally do not like pre-sign-ups. We were resistant to it, I was resistant to it to a degree anyway, when it, when um, Gen Con uh, UK or Gen Con Europe was happening uh, over mm-hmm. here. Um, and the system whereby you could buy generic tickets and generically drop into spaces that were free always struck me as bloody bizarre. I first met this at Gen Con in the US, which I got to before... Gencon UK started happening mm-hmm. um, and as a GM which I was being after my first time there yeah. yeah it's nice I get paid a few dollars to run a game um, but the idea that you have paid your moderately expensive membership and your moderately expensive hotel bill and you also have to pay to play in games seemed a bit strange yeah um, I, I don't think the, the, I think it's just wanting to turn up and find the stuff most uh there is a there is a unreserved level of amateurism about the the British conventions. I mean, the, it's not that's not to say the Americans are well. The Americans are more organised, more professional, and 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 bigger. Mm-hmm. But the British um, like their conventions to be something that's run by enthusiasts. Ha- well, it has to be anyway, because nobody but an enthusiast would do this. There isn't that much money. In, uh, in 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 organising this sort of thing, unless you're really huge, unless you're really huge, what counts as really huge these days? I would imagine UK Games Expo is making a reasonably healthy profit. Yeah, well, that's they, 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 they have moved from itself. small hotel to large hotel to two years later a hall of the NEC. Yeah, well, that's the expo itself, but the the exhibitors, the the the, the exhibitors. Well, the, the the guys in the in the sales hall are paying a fixed rate for a table and hoping that their sales will cover it, yeah. which is fairly standard for mo- for most. Yeah, but uh, but, uh, but no, with maybe the exception of Wizards of the Coast, uh, who don't have a a British arm anymore, do mm, they? I don't think so. And um, and I don't know one or two others. Um, there aren't that many. Uh, and that many really big concerns. Leisure Games, I suppose, um, has something. And but anyway, there, there's a, there's oh, a, a, as a trader, you don't have to be quite so huge to make decent money. If you can, if you take a single table, 
Mm. Um, yes, you have to pay a fair amount up front, but you're going to reach an awful lot of people who have never heard of you and won't, won't have heard of you otherwise. So yeah. clearly it's worth doing because they keep getting more people who want to be traders. So what's good, hang on, from the point of view of the punter, what's good about them? Why do we turn up as opposed to them? Small companies you've never heard of. That's true. Um, Big companies who bring along everything, including the product you've been looking for for 15 years. Yep. Um, second, second-hand dealers at Dragon Meat, there are two or three, I think. Two or three, yeah. I think two. Yeah. Um, who will have that obscure thing that you that you didn't buy 30 years ago when it came out and you've suddenly remembered, hang on a minute, that might be quite fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tend, I tend to, to buy things and discover that they were crap after all. It's, it's a terrible thing getting old. The... Uh, but I, I think it's worth saying a, a lot of us, or a lot of people I know at least, uh, remember Games Fair, hmm. uh, which was late eighties in Reading, at the, at the university, organised by TSR, hmm. well loosely organised. But and some of this is certainly nostalgia, but it certainly influenced my idea of what a good role playing convention should be. That was residential. Yeah. Um, but it was basically a matter of turn up at some point on the Friday. If you if you brought a game to run, you put up you put up a poster on the notice board, and then people sign up for it, and that's it. Hmm. Yeah, you say okay, this time meet here, then we go and find a table. Um, which needs no no ticketing and no no faffing about. And okay, the pub the student bar runs out of decent beer on the Friday afternoon, but you've brought your own. Um, <laughs> Well, where the the advantage is if you keep going back to the same place, they do eventually learn that they yes, you will drink that amount of beer, and yes, you do want all that the all that 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 supply of uh, of actual drinkable beer brought in, and you will exhaust it. Oh, these guys didn't. Yeah. Now, what I'm thinking of, which is the the current thing that I go to that is most like that, uh, is Stabcom, mm-hmm. which. Um, has its ancestral DNA from um, from a series of conventions held at Manchester University. It's now at uh, um, a hotel in Stockport, and basically that 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 is it. that that is it. You go along, you bring along a game if you want want to to to, uh, to run it, or a, a box of games if you if you want to run mm-hmm. board games, and you you if you want to fix a slot, you put put a notice up on the on the notice board and sign up for one of the uh, function rooms, if you can find a spare one, and then uh, and then you, look, you will attract um, you will attract punters. I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen um, a role playing se- session put up on the board which didn't actually in- attract all all the. Uh, oh, I have. All, you I, have? I, I've put up several. Um, all right. What have you offended it, it, them with? It, it may be something about the way I've written blurbs. I've, I've, tr- I've tried to make them more appealing more recently and have more success. Oh well, that works. But there are the people will enthuse and people will will sign up for for things. And if you want to play an obscure board game or are hoping to see an obscure board game being played, then there are more obscure board games that at Stabcon than you will see elsewhere in your life. People yeah. bring their collections. Now, Stabcon usually has one trader. Um, uh, Fanboy three. Yeah, and they're, they're they're not doing big business, but they're, they're not losing. On, no, I don't think they're losing on it either. Do you think they'd lynch me if I mentioned they tend to knock things down on a Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been there before, you've noticed. Yeah. Um, yeah, never do that for me. Anyway. Well, they uh, never do that for anything you want, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, 
for going to Dragon Meat, um, all, all of these are now combined to some extent with board games, because let's face it, board games have got huge in the last ten mm -hmm. years. Um, I would say they're probably bigger than role-playing yeah. fairly easily now. Um, but you know, I think role-players have got used to being around people who aren't role-playing. A, a pure role-playing convention is a pretty rare thing. Um, yeah. It, well, it, the nearest to it that I know of at the moment are the, are the biennial, that means uh, every two years, um, and Leicester cons, which uh, spring out of convulsion, and um, I think it's called Continuum at the moment. Um, uh, the, it's got a heavy emphasis on Glorantha and uh, Call of Cthulhu and other Chaosium-inspired stuff. Hmm. Um, and does a lot of LARPs. Um, Live-action role-playing is a thing that you can do at weekend-long meets. You can spend up to five or six hours um, in character, in costume, interacting with other people, wandering around and doing large-scale stuff, uh, things which decides the fate of nations, or just falling in love, or just follow following your own plot lines. And as it happens yeah. to be on my birthday um, <laughs> next year, I'm going. I, I ought to get to one of those sometime. Mm. Run something Cthulhu-ish. Um, the the another one that occurs to me is the Concrete Cow, which are happening twice a year. Yeah. Um, which are pretty much pure role playing, um, because they're quite small and thirty, forty, maybe fifty people. Yeah. Um, one day events in Milton Keynes. Yeah. Uh, you you pretty much have to if if you didn't sign up for for a game in the morning slot, well, there are about two people left, and you can chat with the traders for a bit, but there is nothing else happening during yeah. that morning slot. It's good for picking up obscure indie games, or at least that's what it was the couple of times I got there. Yeah, they they usually um, bring bring along that sort of things. It, it it's it's I don't know about indie focused, but a lot of the games that are run there are yeah. indie or experimental in some way. And uh, I got I got to I got to to play um, dogs in the vineyard and discover I really didn't like it after all. <laughs> um, another one that I, I've been to all of so far are the YSDC Games Days, which is a yogsothoth.com. Yeah. Uh, Organised this. It's a one one day event, though in practice it's now become um, people stay the night before and the night after. Mm. Um, <clears throat> single role playing slot starting about. Little afternoon on a Saturday, yeah. going on till about four. But yeah, I, I'm not even the person who goes furthest to northern Leeds to get there. there there's a guy who comes from Sweden. So, <laughs> all right. Well, clearly the market is still there. I suspect the market will keep on being there, even if it, it's reduced to even if even if the um, the industry, who God bless. Stop, decide it was no longer profitable for them. I suspect this sort of small-scale event, fan-driven, purely fan-driven events. Yeah, and so, something like a concrete cow, uh, they, they've actually published a guide on how, how to run your own. Mm. And essentially what it needs is one or two reasonably tireless people yeah. and a venue. Mm. It doesn't, doesn't need a whole lot of money. Maybe you'll get traders coming along, maybe you won't. Once you've got a reliable audience, they probably will. Yeah. Um... But yeah, this is this is very much the show you can put on in the barn, without needing lots of upfront anything. I have I never committed myself whilst um, it was happening to Gen Con UK. I managed to get in one day, I think, uh, 
And the most memorable bit of it was playing the Durani role-playing game with the author of the books <laughs> and the author of the role-playing game. Um, but other than that, and that was a lucky find and tumbling into it, I found myself rattling around in the great big hall. Maybe it would have been... No, it would have been different if I had planned it in advance and booked myself in properly for things in advance. But. Yeah, I, I went along to a couple of those when they, when they were at Canberra Sands. Mm. Um... And they, they were shifting from bring stuff and run it to sign up in advance at that point. Yeah. Uh, and still, still managed to get some games together. Um, but but by the time they'd moved to Wembley, was it? Um, yeah. Well, no, it was, no, it was Olympia. Uh, Olympia, Central London. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was very much if you haven't signed up, what are you even bothering to be here for? Yeah. Unless you just want to buy stuff. There was a lot of stuff to buy. It must be said. Yeah. But. Um, on the whole, that isn't that interesting. Oh, and we should mention panels as a good thing that happens at some conventions. Hmm. Um, Dragon Meat is quite actually quite active in in this way. There's always people coming. Uh, Pelgrane takes the opportunity to uh, trot out Robin and Ken and Robin. And this Ken is and, usually Ken's annual trip to the UK. Yeah, and uh, they discuss um, their games, what they're planning to do. And um, members of the audience attempt to tempt uh, Ken and Robin into writing stuff that they want. <laughs> Dreamhounds of Paris and uh, and I think Bookhounds of London all, all started there, and maybe even the Dracula dossier started in, in questions being asked and saying, "Why don't you do this?" And they look mm. at Simon and they say, "Simon." <laughs> Yeah, I very rarely actually get to those because I've, I've typically been sitting on a, de on a demo table all day, but yeah. uh, I, I hope to make a bit more of it this time round. Okay. we Well, uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, we, it, we still go because it's still useful. And, it, and, and, and a, a small one has a different flavour from a big one. But the big ones are better when they swallow some of the flavour of, of the small ones, I think. For, well... For my purposes, anyway. Hmm. Well, ev everything has started as small. It's a question of whether it, whether it institutionally remembers being small. Hmm. That's true. Uh, we of the elder generation are passing away. Oh, good grief. Institutional memory of gamers. No such damn thing. All right, then why is it that every game, every role-playing game says, these are just suggestions, you can change it the way you want to? Arr, arr. Nobody needed to say that until AD&D came out and said, no, no, if you're not doing it right, you're not playing AD&D anymore. Historical analysis here on improvised <laughs> radio theatre with, with dice. You'll hear me gnashing my teeth, having been proved wrong over a rash saying in the background. Let us move quickly along to the next segment, in case that ever happens again. talking at the start of this episode about how far you can take improvisation in a campaign, how far you can say everything's up for grabs. Uh, let's go to the other extreme. Let us talk about the railroad. Um, I, I recently listened to the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers, who we've talked about before here, uh -huh. um, playing through The Big Hoodoo, a gumshoe adventure. Well, a Trail of Cthulhu adventure. Yeah. And it was a jolly good adventure, it was a, and it was an enjoyable recording. But 
listening to it and particularly reading through the adventure afterwards, it seemed that really it's pretty much a matter of you turn up at location A yeah, and you do things and you get the clue and the clue points to location B and you do things and you get the clue. And there, there isn't even necessarily a big fight scene at the end. You turn up at location Z with the relevant knowledge at the relevant time. Yeah. And you watch the cutscene. And you've won. You watched the cutscene? Okay. So there's no risk. Well, you, you, you could potentially fa fail to get a clue or misinterpret it in some way. And what happens if you do that? Is this provided for? Um, there, there is a certain amount of branching structure so that the route you take can vary and you, you, might, you might eventually find, find that you just don't know the things you need to know. And if that happens, you die bravely? Yeah. Okay. But the thing that struck me, particularly because the, these guys are obviously enjoying it, yeah. um, that maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing, because what the adventure also gives you is lots of gorgeously detailed NPCs to interact with, Mm -hmm. uh, this particular one gives you pre-gen characters who are tied into the, the, the particular setting very closely. It's basically as uh, uh, various science fiction authors off shortly after the death of Jack Parsons in, in the 1950s. <laughs> Which ones, he said, idly? Uh, Robert Heinlein, Phil Dick, uh, Tony Boucher are all there as PCs. Ah, oh, the, cla the clash of egos. Yes. <laughs> Also, I note that the um, lady who was running it, it was only something like the third or fourth adventure she had ever run. Yeah. And it certainly didn't sound like that to me. Okay. And so it may, it may well be that um, not having to worry about keeping plot mechanics going can free up the GM to do a bunch of other stuff. Or well, certainly to do encounters and to make it real mm. is a good thing. But the problem comes when you run up against a wall or... A player who doesn't see things in the way the scenario has um, has set up for. A long time ago, um, back in my very early days of role playing, I was working um, in Nottingham uh, doing a children's theatre, and uh, this was some of my earliest uh, playing of, of D and D. Uh, with a, then there was a, a very um, enthusiastic. A bunch um, in Nottingham, and Games Workshop was based in Nottingham at that time. Mm. And I found myself going up against the Temple of the Frog, was it called? Um, it was a very early Judges Guild um, scenario, run by a, a GM called Slim. And we'd had a very good fight, the bunch of us, and we had a large pile of loot. Mm. And we just cleared out the upper levels of the, of the temple, um, slaying the servants of the frog god, um, left, right, and centre. And we've taken some damage, and we've got some money. And we thought, right, that's it. As you do, uh, that's enough. We're going home now. And Slim said, "You can't do that." Well, what do you mean? We said, "said I can't do that." There, there, there's whole levels below. Now, we'll just block the entrances with, 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 with this rubble over here. We'll, we'll, we'll go home and we'll worry about it another day. And Sim looked at us with deep disgust and he said, Despite all your precautions. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was a failure. Was it, it was a failure on, on, on Slim, Slim's part, clearly. 
in a modern day game, it would be a failure on our part because we were refusing the premise of the campaign. We were saying, yeah, um, we were saying, our we're, we're a bunch of of uh, of mercenary, um, mur mur murderous uh, thugs, and we've got enough money. We're going home now, and we won't be heroes. When YSDC played through Walker in the Waste, say Call of Cthulhu scenario. Mm. Um, their initial player characters were, were basically scientists on, on a northern Canadian wilderness expedition. Yeah. And horrible things happened, and, they, and some of them survived them. And at the end of it, they, they basically said, OK, um, we, we have dealt with this fairly strange situation, and that, that's enough. Uh, several of us are now dead, and, and the rest of us are now going home. Mm. Uh, and they, they ended up, um, in fact, setting up. A, I, th I think they brought one player character over to be to be the continuity link, and then everybody else had new PCs. Yeah, well, that's that's a way of dealing with it. I'm looking forward to. I, I have I've had to say to my players in the Dracula dossier, what's going to become the Dracula dossier campaign, that uh, please accept that your characters are going to put themselves into grave danger. In order to frustrate the um, uh, the terrible vampire conspiracy, it may not be the rational thing to do, but your heroes and super agents, god damn it! Mm. But nonetheless, even if you've got those, those things hardwired, there's going to come a point where somebody's going to say, "The route you you are proposing that we take is clearly insane. Let's do something different." And if the GM can't do that, if you, if, if you do not have off-rail capacity, mm. then you're in trouble. Yeah, where I think where the railroad becomes annoying is when it becomes a constraint. I, if the tracks are leading in the direction the players want to go anyway, then they are never they going... Will, they'll never notice. Yeah, and that's great. Yeah. Um, it, it's when they, when they say, hang on, here is a perfectly reasonable solution. And I, either the GM says, yes, all right, let, let's run with that. Or there is some. It, 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 it's a it's a non-diegetic. It, it's it's outside the continuity of the game world yeah. way of forcing them back on, and that that just breaks any sort of immersion one might have. Mm. The yeah, my my character wants to do this, and then all of a sudden he changes his mind. Yeah, no, my character wants to do this. Well, it won't work. You can try it, but it won't work. You're just making a fool of yourself. Don't do that. Is one of the rules of improvisation in as an art form in, in the theatre mm -hmm. is don't block. Yeah. There, we don't quite... Even in the most improvised campaigns, um, I don't think we can do that 100% of the time. You have to have a sense of reality, of continuity, of things mattering in the, uh, in, in the game world. And the GM is... Well, everybody's the guardian of that, the GM especially. Yeah, and I, I think if if somebody in, in a non-superpowered role-playing game says, I'm going to run really fast and leap, leap up and reach the moon, then the GM is basically going to say, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, if the, if it, it gets hard when uh, when the players know more than you do, my players in, uh, in the NBA game, I'm perfectly sure, Several of them know a lot more than I do about computer security and what electronic intrusion can pull off. You know more than I do about that sort of thing, Roger. It is part of my job. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I have to defer to them, but I, what I'm doing in some ways is saying, 
look, is there any way I can put this information in? That is a break in immersion. Or you can say, well, this is cinematic computer security, and again, that's a break in immersion. Yeah. Uh, but but I, you have, to, you have to say, at some stage, you have to say, no, you can't do that. No, that's just ridiculous. Um, it's easier to do it if it's in an area of your own expertise, but um, things that you you actually know about, and I can say, I can say things about uh, history and and literature and theology that are I feel I can lay down the law and say no that wouldn't work no that wouldn't work actually that would, um, but but in technology I am reliant on uh, on the tolerance and aid of my players. I think we've we've talked before about getting players to engage with the game world. Yeah. Um, so if the thing you have is something that only exists within the game world, as it might be that the rituals of a particular cult in Glorantha, yeah. um, then the f- the fact that they're trying to f- fiddle ways around them is is a good thing in itself. Yeah, and Glorantha is a lot more forgiving. On the other hand, at some point they are going to discover. At some point, it seems likely that they are going to discover that that particular sort of vampire isn't killed in that particular sort of way. Mm. Um, and I'm going to have to I'll be the one who calls that. It's going to be for reasons part of which are game balance and part of which are how I think the universe works. And given I have some atheist players, some of that might come down a bit um, a bit sticky. Or not. They, they're fairly tolerant of me. All right, so... Uh, what's the size of a good railroad? One where the, 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 uh, you're in the dining car and it's very comfortable. The and view you, is wonderful. And you, you don't notice that uh, it's constraining, yeah. And Gumshoe was, was famously written to solve the basic problem of uh, if you don't find the clue, you're stymied. Yeah. And talk that I've been running recently is an, is an example of that. Um, very often it says, here is the clue. Mm-hmm. And this is the skill role you need to find it. Uh, it it doesn't then give you other ways of getting the clue. What it does do, though, is give you other oh. ways of saying, okay, if if the PCs have just given up yeah. at any point in this act, in effect, yeah. then here here is how you can shortcut them to the beginning of the next act. Yeah, um, yeah. I, if... I haven't had to do that with with the group I'm playing with yet, and I and I like that because it does seem that it. it if if you can get through that easily, then it kind of devalues what you've done before. I well, I feel I want to, I want failure to have different consequences than success. Um, whether it's it's a failed die roll or they're misinterpreting, there should always be time pressure, as as we were saying about the Arlington Charles. There should always be a consciousness that you don't have forever to decide this, mm. um, and bad stuff will happen. Um, the vampires will abduct your girlfriend. Um, the moon will turn blood red. The uh, two uh, guys come, with guns come through the door. Yeah, that one. Yeah, um, something should happen to, to pressure them. But the nature of the pressure should always reveal something. You reveal, you reveal to them where they've gone wrong by the nature of the bad stuff that happens. Hmm. I think that's that's the way that's the way way to do it. Because you didn't do X, they will now do Y, and Y tells you, "Oh dear, I really should have done X." That goes Y is a step on the way towards the bad guy's goal. Yeah, yeah. It has to be. They have to suffer 
but they don't have to be stopped. Bad stuff has to happen, and they have to be stymied. That yeah, persecuting the M- their family and NPCs is a is a classic way to do it. It doesn't actually hurt them, except in their emotions, mm. and their emotions might inspire them to go off. And uh, of course, there are points where with games with sanity points and, and stability points and stuff like that. We'll, we'll worry about that later. Mm. And, and some some of the tall villain plots are, are so baroquely complicated that. Even my players, who are pretty good at this stuff, are getting a bit thrown at times. For instance? Um, well, there, there was a plot involving um, put, putting a murdered man in a particular uh, place with a clue indicating that somebody completely different had murdered him in a different way. Mm. In, purely in order to point the players at the next guy in the chain. So, somebody... Had deliberately left that clue for the PCs pointing at this particular guy, but they'd done it very badly, and and it was in the setup for the adventure that they had done it very badly. All right, <laughs> enemies who aren't as clever as they think they are. Well, I suppose that's a blessing of sorts. Um, one, one thing that I like to do, um, and as, as far back as Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastery, he talked about a, a branching adventure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in, initial scene gives you three or four different things you can investigate mm. and from those you can go on to a bunch of other things each and yeah. they, they will eventually narrow down again to, to your big finale and that's fair enough. Uh, one, one of the things that I like to do, particularly with, with a modern or futuristic game, is have information overload or clue overload. It, it, it's not so much red herrings as, as a school of red minnows all swimming in different directions. That sounds like work. Hard work. Roger. It falls out of knowing the setting. Okay. And the, the sort of thing that happens in the setting. True. I could, if setting something in Parvis, um, I could come up with half a dozen different factions uh, that might that might be involved in, it, in, in anything unpleasant, though lunar intelligence is always a particularly good bet. <laughs> One thing not to do, uh, whilst we're talking about investigative campaigns, one thing not to do is to hinge um, a campaign on one particular piece of esoteric knowledge, which you are sure that you know, and you're sure everybody knows. I have never been <laughs> so embarrassed in my life as when I borrowed the plot of a Dorothy L. Sayers novel for um, a detective story set in Parvis. And I looked around the table at the end when I'd given them all the information and and they, and they looked at me and they said, what's haemophilia when it's at home then? Yeah. I would have, okay, may, maybe I'm fortunate in my players. <laughs> I, I, I haven't run... They were younger then. I, I haven't had any really obscure stuff that they haven't got. Yeah. So um, I, I think this, the same players um, 20, 30 years later, um, I, I drop the... Uh, I dropped, a, I dropped a mention of the Knights of Malta into the game and they came up with all sorts of weird and esoteric stuff. And, you know, <laughs> they've been hanging around me too long, clearly. It's great when players take notes. It's even better when they take accurate notes. Hmm. God bless them. Um, if I were a better GM, I would write up my recordings of the adventures the day after. But I'm not a GM, better GM than I am. I'm just the GM that I am. Yeah, I, I, I have been, I mean, we've talked about this before, writing up session logs. Uh, not not in detail of exactly who who shot whom when, 
yeah. but broadly what what has happened and what what clues have been picked up and so on. Yeah, and, I, and this I, this becomes the Pravda for future sessions. At some point, there has to I, I I have to be open to retcons. I'm writing a narrative when I write things up, and I'm writing it as it happened in the world, with occasional uh, side, uh, side bits of dialogue that could only have been spoken by the players and not mm. by the characters. Yeah. And footnotes. I, I started to include at the end of each write-up a brief list of the diversions and digressions we got involved with <laughs> during the game. All right. How, when have you had players chafe at something you didn't think was a railroad, but they but they did? Or when have you got when have you got it wrong? I am not prepared to admit that I ever did. I think I've generally been flexible enough to to accommodate what players wanted, though. There was an occasion um, r running a basic dungeon bash where um, they, they decided to retire Hurt on the second room. But yeah, that's that shows a well a bad dice roll in your, in your basic dungeon bash. Yes. Yeah, but uh, but I think they also but they were also feeling a certain lack of enthusiasm, so that's fair enough. I I, I do remember the first time I met this as a, as a player was a GM uh, in the late eighties, early nineties, who was very keen that he sh that that we should be creating an epic fantasy story. Oh, boy. But didn't tell us this before we generated characters, so we, we were generating... Um, Rat catchers? Yeah, it, it wasn't Warhammer, but that sort of level. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do actually worry about where the next meal is coming from. Yeah. Uh, but and he wanted he wanted uh, bold heroes who would throw a bag of gold at the protesting innkeeper and say, here, here for your trouble, my good man. That sort of thing, yeah. yeah. Um, it it, it got, got a bit frustrating at times. Um, I can't now remember. I, I think some of us generated new PCs and some of us just bailed out eventually. Well, that, that's more a mistake of, of tone rather than rather than plotting. I do know that I do it from time to time because my my yeah, players. But, but the thing is, we we were forced into do, into doing the epic fantasy plot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. Uh... Whether or not we wanted to, or had any reason to, or... well, I don't think that's quite the same thing. I think that that's that's a mismatch of expectations. Mm. I think I know that I do it, as I say, because occasionally my players say to me, uh, 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 because I've told them the story about Slim. They say they look at each other and say, "I think this is a despite all your precautions situation," or they mutter something about being run over by the GM's Fiat. Mm. And I I I try not to, to do it. There are climactic moments where, you, where there is one logical thing to do. You want to reveal the one logical thing to do as late as possible mm. in the in the chain of events. So it's them saying, "Oh my God, the thing we must now do is, and we must grab our swords or our guns or whatever, and go and do it right now," rather than, "Oh crap, isn't there a better way?" Hmm. I think probably the the most dirigist adventures I've run have, have been the um, published ones for Talk. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm fortunate in the group that we're we're all reasonably experienced gamers and we we can meet in the middle and the, the, they will agree that yes all right we'll go along with this even if it doesn't make a lot of sense mm. and at the same time I will say no no that's just silly uh, rewrite that bit on the fly. I think any dungeon properly constructed is pretty much it, it it's a it's it, it may not be a railroad but it's an underground map 
Um, mm. I'm a London Underground map. I was meaning. Mm. Um, it's a, a number of a, a few nodes you can move between, and the order you take them in is often dictated, especially in small layers. Um, you've got to go through this room to get to that room, yeah. and there's only two ways you can go from here to here. It it, it is the quintessential um, um, railroad, but if you're doing it right. If they are, if they feel that they are moving through increasing levels of danger in a logical manner, then uh, then then they won't pr protest. They they've got a yeah. they've got a target. Um, sometimes though, they're just rambling around in the in the in the huge mega dungeons of the of the eighties. But um, yeah, I, but I always prefer the, the idea are, that there is a specific goal that you're trying for, other than just making lots of money. You know, there's a temple of Thanatar down, down here, and you're going to take it out. You don't know what's between you and it, but yeah, I'm just remembering when when Gumshoe came out. Um, one of one of the big points that they explained quite often was, yes, it will sometimes be a bit railroady, but in a mystery adventure, you are ultimately leading towards the solution of the mystery. Yeah. And I, I think that's an important distinction to draw. There may well be a, a finale of some sort in mind, hmm. as in the villain is going to be revealed and punished, because that is the structure of the story. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be the PCs get everybody together in the drawing room. It, hmm. it could be a, a frantic rooftop chase through through dark, darkness and rain. That works too. There, there are all sorts of ways that the same mystery can be solved, but in, in a different manner and therefore with a different conclusion. Hmm. It's going to be interesting, to me anyway, maybe not to anybody else, to see how late I can lead deciding the capstone, the, the final climactic uh, MacGuffin of the... Um, it's not a MacGuffin, it, it, well, his nature does actually matter. <laughs> of the of the Dracula dossier, which of the various innermost secrets um, I can go for? There are two innermost secrets. What Dracula is up to? I don't think this is a spoiler. Mm -hmm. What Dracula is up to, and the way, if at all, you can finally destroy him. Yeah. And those are the things that you've got to uh, in in uh, that the players are trying to find. And I'm not sure. Not sure which one. Logically speaking, if you can destroy him first, then that would frustrate the, the grand thing. But I, that's not the way around round to do it. The way around round to do it is to have um, is to have them frustrate the, the grand plan, and then, as the final climax, chase him, yeah, and destroy him. The, the, this is the the traditional narrative structure. You you demolish the plan, and then the villain tries to get away to do it again. Uh, yeah, uh, Holmes and the Moriarty at Reichenbach. Yeah. Mm. And well, every every occasion they met other than Reichenbach, really. But <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, pedant. Um, I don't, I don't know if that. Yeah, railroads have to be. Lu I think. I, I are we coming to a conclusion here? Railroads have to be luxuriously appointed. Yeah. Um, I either they they are so much in tune with what the players want to do that they don't notice them. Or there is so much other stuff there that they don't mind. Hmm. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes you find yourself banging up against the walls of the universe without knowing that that, that that's what what you were going to do. As a mm. GM, it's it's painful, but it is the best moment to to suddenly improvise something 
and let them go look upon it as a means to use up the, the, the background secrets in a different way. There should be anything that, that happens undramatically, un, unsatisfyingly for the story and for the players and the, for the characters is bad, but try and look at it at a new way. Anything, anything proposed by human, human hand can go wrong. Yeah. Therefore, make the, the idea they've come up with, you say yes, yes, but it isn't as simple as that. Yeah, and may, may, maybe there is a gaping flaw in the villain's scheme, so he'll come up with a different one. Well... He, he's set back, and, and you've broken it more easily than the, than the author of the adventure expected you to. But... A good villain is hard to find. Mm. And he will have an escape pod. Gotta have an <laughs> escape pod. As we head for our escape pods, uh, that has been Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. With me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. We will see some of you, probably, at uh, Dragon Meat, and we hope that your Christmas shopping um, brings lots of exciting games that you can give to your relatives and introduce them to this destructive habit. Any comments, please, to uh, our website or by email to podcast at techeli.ly and we'll see you next time when it will be even colder and bleaker in High Wigan. Blah.